because as a listener, you want to understand their perspective, not just rebut it and tell them how they're wrong. Yeah. Welcome to Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On with Janice Formicella. I'm Janice Formicella, a breakup coach passionate about supporting others to learn from their breakups, overcome loneliness, love being single, and see the end of a relationship as the beginning of a magical, sexy new chapter in life. I am here each week to share with you the tools that I have learned through my own painful breakups, through hitting rock bottom more than once, and through working with people all around the world to heal their broken hearts. If you are looking for hope and strength to move on from your breakup and resources to enjoy your new life, you are in the right place and I've got your back. Welcome, everybody, to another episode with my friend, Brian Dunn. We are continuing the conversation around triggers and healthy communication and building a strong, trustful foundation in relationships. So thank you, Brian, and thank you for the idea of doing this. Hello, hello. Great to be here. And always an amazing time talking to you about these topics. This is the kind of stuff I love to talk about and share with people. Yeah. And you're, um, you always have great insights. And like I said, last time, that's probably why you have a good long-term relationship. So, uh, before we get started, I wanted to let everyone know, this is kind of the second part of an, of an ongoing conversation that Brian and I are having about the topic of building a good foundation and being able to talk with your partner about sensitive things. And we recently dropped an episode called I feel triggered. So triggers are a very hot topic these days. Please go and check that out. I think you could probably do them in either order, but that was a great episode. So go and look. And before we get started, I would love everyone to go and follow Brian. Brian, where would you like people to come and hang out with you? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at MR. Brian with an I, C. Dunn, D-U-N-N, so Mr. Brian C. Dunn, or my website is com. I would have thought you would have been hot dad. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Mr. Brian Dunn, go and follow him, please. So let's jump right in. Why are conversations important in relationships and really developing a structure for conversations and learning how to be a good listener and a good speaker. First of all, despite what some people believe, our partners cannot read our minds. And a lot of people might think they should know if I'm upset or they should, you know, at this point in the relationship, know that I need this, but nobody can read your mind. Or know what you're feeling or or know what it is you want or what you need at any given moment. They're very, very personal things. And we should not expect our partner to yeah, know what we're thinking. Um, we don't even know what we are actually feeling or, or actually want or need in, in a moment. Oh, so you're saying the conversation itself can help us to flush those things out? 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, sometimes you're not, you might be feeling something, but you're not sure what it is. So if you don't know 100%, 100% of the time, you can't expect somebody else to be able to know everything about you. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes I guess we might feel triggered (laughs) by something (laughs) and, yeah, not really know why. And so how can we expect our partner to know? This has been my thing in relationships. Not anymore, but I'm going to talk about my own journey with healthy communication. And that is letting things build up leads to resentment, which can lead to us kind of interacting with our partner in a different way. It can lead to us seeing our partner in a different way. And it can completely destroy what could have been a good relationship. And we don't always get what we want and need in relationships if we don't express them. A healthy relationship is definitely about having certain needs and wants met. It's not just about being with someone or just about not being single anymore. We are meant to have relationships to add to our life. And the best way to make sure that happens is to let our partner know what that is. And the resentment comes from the not getting what you want, but not expressing the actual one. It's like if you go to a restaurant, you don't tell the server what it is you want, and then you get upset that they don't fulfill your need without you actually expressing what it is you want in water or calamari or whatever it is. Well, I got pasta over my birthday and I asked for gluten-free pasta, but I didn't make sure that the, that it was all gluten-free and I got sauce that had flour in it and who was I sick? Uh, so, but again, I didn't tell them. And so I guess, you know, why would they have just assumed? <laughs> um, I really love this. It's important that we have empathy for our partner and vice versa. And having conversations helps us to understand each other and then yes. therefore get, I guess, a circle of empathy going in the relationship. It's sort of like you you need empathy, you need understanding, you need that connection, and that's why you're together. Otherwise, you're just roommates or friends. Romantic relationships are a deeper connection, so you need to have that deeper connection, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yep, agreed. And so all relationships are going to have conflicts. They're going to have ruptures or sort of damage done to the foundation or, or sort of the bonds that hold you together. And it's important to work through those things that come up by talking through them. So repairing those little fissures or those little cracks in that foundation. And it's the ability to do the repair process that can make or break a relationship. So uh, a couple that doesn't fight for 50 years may look great on the outside, but maybe there's a ton of resentment and they hate each other's guts and they don't get along, but they're together. And that's not necessarily a healthy or a successful relationship. A different couple may fight a lot, but they have excellent repair work. So it's sort of maybe how they are and their emotions flare up, but they're able to put the fire out and and do the repair work afterwards. And they may have, it may seem like they fight a lot Not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, no judgment there, but it's the repair process and the ability to do the repair that makes that maybe a a better, quote unquote, a more healthy relationship. And I think when you do the repair work, quote unquote, right, that the next time you fight, you're not bringing in past resentments and shit from the past constantly. And if you do have an argument or a fight, you're just kind of starting 
just with that other than the baggage from the past. Exactly. If you don't do the repair right, if something is unresolved, that's going to sit there and simmer and fester until the next time there's sort of a, a flare up and that can get brought up again or six months later when you thought it was over and they are still upset about the thing that was not settled from before. Yep. Um, the things that we're experiencing are often internal and it's important to be able to fill our partners in, of course, fill ourselves in, understand our own internal workings and insecurities and, and feelings and inadequacies and needs. But but then part two of that is to be able to express that to the other person. Some, sometimes, like we all, we all learn different communication skills and norms growing up. Um, some of us grow up in very open households where everybody's saying every thought on their mind and other people <laughs> may grow up in households or be taught that you, you keep your mouth shut or it's that not is how I to... was raised. And even as an adult in our family unit, I would, because of the evolution that I've been on, I just know there was times when I would try very calmly to bring something up as a grown ass woman and had even my parents get mad and just like shut me down. And yeah, definitely. I think that I had to learn how to do this because Talking about our emotions was not something we did in our house. I saw my parents fight once, which I think if you have kids, maybe you should shelter them from maybe not fight in front of them. But it was even all the kids. If we were upset about anything, we were definitely told to keep it to ourselves. Yeah. And that's that's harmful. That's teaches the kid, teaches the person. It's not safe to bring up your feelings. Your feelings are not valid. You should repress them or deal with them in some other way. And that can often turn into substance abuse or different other sorts of patterns that are maladaptive coping mechanisms. Anyway, so back to communication. So if you have learned that is not safe or, or not okay or, or not normal to communicate your feelings, you may just be holding that inside. So whatever that communication learning adaptation was growing up or in your family, in the school, wherever it is, you may need to unlearn it and to relearn some different ways of communicating. Yes. And that is why we are here today. I love to bring in um, as many personal examples as possible. <laughs> Brian, I know that you've worked really hard on this and, and that you're still constantly learning and you're very curious about healthy relationships. Do you have anything to share about either your journey or something from the past where you learned to use this? Yes. There's one example. It's kind of was a, a aha moment for me Yay. afterwards, looking back at it. But my first serious relationship after my divorce. So this was 2016, 2017 timeframe. And I went out to dinner with my girlfriend and she knew where we were going. So she had looked up the menu on Yelp, of course, and she knew what she wanted. And, and we got in there and I wanted a chance to look at the menu and, and see what there was and see what looked interesting and choose something I wanted to eat. But she already picked she wanted XYZ. And so, okay, that's what we'll get. And oh, to I, share? What were you having? Um, sushi well, yeah, or something? Yeah, it was like, like a pizza place <laughs> and get a couple of pizzas. And then, okay, like okay, okay and gotcha. So I had always been serving and letting other people have what they want or, or trying to please others. Like people pleasing slash being a nice guy and, and wanting them to be happy. And then that way I will be happy. And so I just said, okay, 
even though there was something else that I wanted. And the next time we went out to eat, I didn't tell her where I had booked the restaurant. I didn't tell her because I didn't want her to look at the menu ahead of time. (laughs) Everything for us. And so afterwards, I reflected on that and that didn't turn into a fight. But I realized and through other things within our relationship that I needed to be able to communicate what it is in that moment and stand up for, actually, you know what? I don't want this. I want that. Had to learn how to be okay with, actually, this is what I want to stand up for. Even the small things and the small things helps you stand up for the bigger things you need in relationships. That's great. Uh, It's like such a simple thing, sort of, but I could tell that it was a aha moment slash kind of a, a turning point for you. And If any men out there are interested or can relate to Brian's story, please go check out the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. Brian actually was the one who turned me on to this book, and it is so brilliant if you feel that you are constantly giving into someone else's needs, but yet not getting anything in return, please go and read this book. It might be the complete game changer. I guess for me, I would say I am a good communicator in relationships and I have had that reflected back to me in my romantic relationships. I will say that I'm on a constant journey to learn how to communicate better with my friends. I am so open with my romantic partners, but I have such a hard time with my friends. And so that's still something I'm working on. I will say I got out of a very violent relationship where no matter how calm I said something, I was constantly getting in trouble. And this was, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, maybe less. So I really shut down. Then I moved to Australia, as some people know, and I was in several relationships, but I could not use my voice and I would get really resentful with the men I was dating and just start to be irritated constantly. And they would um, definitely unravel quickly because men wouldn't understand, you know, why I wasn't being intimate. They felt like they were disappointing me constantly and didn't know why. And I kind of went on a journey, including I really dove deep into orgasmic meditation because it is actually all about communicating your needs. (laughs) And that was very transformative for me, learning how to use my voice again. And it took me a couple of years, but now I'm to the point where I just lay it out. I've studied nonviolent communication. And also I have noticed that it makes me feel safe and closer to the person when I express my needs. Your, your story there in the resentment reminded me that also sometimes the resentment is not so much at the other person, it's at ourselves. Probably we, we because sort of I those... felt embarrassed that I couldn't use my voice. I felt very immature, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. That's a really good point. We sort of displace it on the other person, but it's partly or maybe fully resentment towards ourselves that we're not speaking up or we're not acting on our own behalf. Yeah. I felt, I guess, also a little incompetent, (laughs) to be honest. I had one partner in Australia who was very open and very good at this stuff. And I just couldn't get to the point where he was of just laying it out. And yeah, I felt, like I said, incompetent. 
Yeah. And it's a growth journey and you yes. take another step, take another step. And mm-hmm. that's what we're here to talk about. Yep. So relationships are, we talked about this a little bit, but they're about connection and a foundation built on trust and that small connective tissue, those moments, the smiles, the feelings that to build into a bigger relationship. And part of that building that relationship and maintaining that relationship are what some people call bids, especially the Gottmans. And they coin this term bids, so turning towards. If you think about kind of an analogy, it's sort of like text messages are are very clear and and you can have a delivery receipt and then a red receipt. And then you know how you (laughs) feel when they've read it and they haven't responded or they give you a short response when you're looking for more excitement or, or something bigger. So taking that analogy back into like the emotional, like the actual in real life connection and relationship, if you say something or you do something, you're looking for that response from the other person. And if they leave you unread, quote unquote, or they don't give you a big enough or or the kind of response you were looking for, it's sort of a a small micro tear in that. And and over time that can build into bigger things, but those bids, those turning towards are, are when we need to be open and present with our partner and responding to those. Yeah, I have someone I've dated in the past and I know he's constantly making that's what she said jokes. Like even when we're having like a normal, actually important conversation and it does, it makes you feel that the person isn't listening when they're inserting jokes and rather than kind of being in the moment and giving me cues and signs that he's listening, it's like always waiting for the the next joke. When you said the foundation built on trust and small connective tissue. Are you saying that this is kind of like a body memory thing? I, I think that's a good way to put it. That's very good observation. I Because dating is a process of getting to know the other person, building trust and safety, emotional connection. And people who feel very close very quickly, they have those shared stories and commonalities. And that's what helps build like a foundation because you feel like, oh, I feel like I've known this person all my life or we have so much in common. And that's kind of building the foundation into a larger relationship. At the same time, you you don't really know a person after a, a date, even if it was like a 12-hour date or a week or a month or three months, they're still relatively strangers compared to your family you've known for 20, 30, 40 years, your friends you've known for you know a year, five years, 10 years. So these are still relatively young relationships, but th- it's a process of building that trust, building that emotional connection through these small moments, the dates and the time together, and just feeling safe in that that person's presence where you can let your guard down, you can be more vulnerable. And some people move at different paces, but yes, that's the, the process of getting to know somebody and building that connection with them. And let's talk more about how to build a foundation of connection, trust, and intimacy. That is so important. And I think when you do have that, that conflict, I would think is less, but also that it's easier managed. And so this is why, despite what you said about feeling connected with someone quickly, you also countered that with, even if you feel a strong connection with someone kind of instantly, that doesn't really mean that you know them. And I would say having instant chemistry with someone is not really something to just fly with. And that doesn't mean that you, that you know each other. And so I would say this is one reason that I really encourage people to go slow 
in relationships so that you can actually find out if you want to build a foundation with someone and then take the steps to do that. Of course, knowing what your boundaries are ahead of time so that you're not just flying by the seat of your pants and just going with the chemistry that you feel with someone. Actually know before you start dating and use your single time to reflect and figure out what it is that you want people to do and what are no's for you. I put practice ahead of time. And I think what I mean by this is we have so many other relationships other than romantic, especially with our family. If you can practice executing your boundaries and communicating about your boundaries with your family members, with your parents, with your siblings. I think that that's really great practice for how you will interact with a partner. And the the communication, like you said, the conflict resolution with those people. And then it takes two to tango. They both have to, they also have to be on the same page as far as how to communicate. But yes. Which can be hard with family, I I suppose. I just, I really, something I talk about a lot is how we engage with our family is often how we engage with our romantic partners. So that's a great way to practice when you are first dating someone, ask lots of questions because when you ask questions of someone, you do establish intimacy. I feel get curious about them. Be upfront from the beginning. (laughs) If something happens that you don't love, put it out there and most, and maybe not most of all, but, and of course, learn about your communication styles whilst you are single and figure out where you might improve. A lot of us have room for improvement when it comes to communication. And I mean, going back to my story, for instance, after the last boyfriend I had in Australia, I had the same exact problem, not speaking my mind, him feeling like I was disappointed and us not being able to connect. And I decided I'm going to take a break. I am not going to date. I'm not going to have sex. I want to stop this so badly. And I did a lot of exploration during that time. And I, I think that is partially how I got to the point that I am now. Yeah, that's awesome. That's great advice. I mean, not everyone wants to do it, but really long term, you'll be much better served to take some time off and do some major self-work. The important part, I think, of that equation is the self-work, not just taking a break, but doing the work while you're being single and the reflection and the healing and the growth. Right. So now with that, Brian is going to share some things to reflect on when it comes to your own communication styles. And communication is a two-way street and you can't control how other people react or act in any situation, but you can control yourself. So one thing you can do is reflect on your own conflict style and your patterns, and you can look back at past relationships and friendships and family. So think about your journal, however this looks for you. Um, Do you react in emotion rather than respond? Sometimes we may respond at work, but with our family or with a romantic partner, it's more emotional and we react because we get flooded and triggered, so to speak, and, and get emotionally activated. Do you bottle things up and then explode later on? Do you become passive aggressive and nitpick or say things about not the topic because you aren't bringing up what is bothering you? Do you bring up or make a big deal of things in the moment? which may or may not be good. Do you deflect in what about and get defensive and bring up past issues that were or were not addressed previously? 
well, you're saying this. Well, what about that thing you did? So <laughs> right. you that is such a bad situation? habit. Do you suppress your own needs and wants to people please and not rock the boat, which as we discussed, builds up resentment. And then think about how you react and, and react in those kinds of situations. And then think about where did you learn or adapt to handle things that way? As we talked about before, that may be from past relationships or family, your upbringing. And think about, is that serving you? Or do you think you could be a better communicator and a conflict resolutionist. And the only way to get different results is to change how you show up. As I mentioned, you can't change your partner or other people. You can only change yourself. So as the, the quote goes, be the change you want to see. So you need to embody in your the, relationships. In your relationships. <laughs> whether that's setting boundaries, being a good communicator, whatever that is. So embody and lead by example with more empathy, understanding, compassion, imagination, collaboration. And be a good apologizer. Um, so if there are underlying issues as you go through the self-reflection process and you notice, oh, this thing, I had issues with my parents or I was never allowed to cry or ask for something, um, whatever those might be, you, you may need to deal with that in order to not bring that up into conflict anymore. And it's your job, your responsibility to go through that on your own, maybe with the professional and not put that on your partner or your future partners over and over and over. And I know we're going to talk about this, but I like what you said about being quick to apologize. And we are going to talk about intention versus impact. And I do think that that's a great skill. A lot of people look at conflict as wanting to win and apologizing and understanding the impact of your actions as some sort of threat. And so I really like that you said that. And I do think in healthy relationships that are long lasting, that uh, apologizing is something to learn how to do for sure. You bring up a great point because apologies are great Apologies need to be authentic, but we shouldn't rush to apologize because we're afraid of the conversation or afraid of what that might bring. A a simple apology might be a a Band-Aid over a big wound, but if you don't address the wound, it's going to keep coming up or it's going to keep festering and maybe get worse. So you need to understand and then have the apology be about resolving and, and addressing the thing and not just smoothing over the moment because you're uncomfortable with the tension that it's causing in the relationship. That is a good point. And I think that I've had a tendency to do that in the past because not wanting to talk about the thing. So maybe apologizing for the impact and then talking about what can we do in the future. And also what you said is pertinent to the next point, which is conversations are much different when it's a first time issue rather than something that is reoccurring. And so that's why it's good to study this uh, because in new relationships, which I think a lot of my listeners will be having because a lot of them are single, it's really good to learn how to talk about things the first time they come up. And definitely. And a year in, five years, 20 years in, your conversations, your communications is going to look very differently. But getting used to that and, and building the, the skills between the two people is important for moving forward. So you don't end up five years, 20 years in, and you don't know how to communicate, and then things keep blowing up. Yeah, this happened in my marriage. I kind of let my ex call all the shots and I was just so scared of losing the relationship that I would just kind of be quiet. And then, yeah, about six or seven years in, as I matured, I realized that it 
really wasn't healthy and also that I was yeah. still being used as a doormat. And so yeah. I started to do things much differently. And it, yeah, I mean, how can you do that that far into a relationship? He wasn't having it for a second. <laughs> so oh, yeah. please take time to be single and learn about how you want to show up in relationships and how you communicate with others. And we're going to walk you through a formula to do that. Today, we want to talk about a conversation formula. So this is from the Gottmans, John Gottman, Julie Gottman. They've been married many decades. They are world-renowned relationship experts and communication experts. They have a formula. They, they talk about the state of the union, kind of check-ins and conflict resolution. Um, but just a little background on the Gottmans. In the 70s, John Gottman started started the Love Lab, and I think he's at University of Washington in Seattle, but they've studied thousands and thousands of couples since the 1970s. And by the 90s, they got to a point where they could observe and predict future divorce with a 93.6% accuracy. And that's for wow. couples who didn't get some sort of intervention with therapy or change of course or something. And so they're very accurate on, on all of the stuff they produce. So any book by them, you know, it's going to be great. But they also came up with four horsemen of relationships kind of spelling the doom. So Janice, do you want to cover those? Yes. So this is actually one thing that I um, am very well versed in, and that is the four horsemen of relationship apocalypse. <laughs> and this is where conflicts break down a relationship when you have these four responses. First of all, criticism, whether we criticize our partner in or outside of a conflict, when we're looking to do that, that can lead to a lot worse things. Contempt, contempt is very similar to resentment. Starting to really look at our partner with just kind of almost like this underlying seething <laughs> feeling defensiveness this is a big one i think a lot of people like i said earlier want to win in a conflict or win in any sort of i don't know if i want to use the word confrontation but a simple conversation about something that one person needs a lot of people rush to this instantly and want to defend themselves and not consider their own actions and stonewalling, which is just completely refusing to address the issue, sometimes giving your partner the silent treatment. Is there anything else you want to say about stonewalling? Yeah, it's sort of like emotionally ghosting or leaving them on red where you're not open to conversation. They notice something's wrong. You won't come to the table and talk about what's what you're feeling. You won't let them connect to you. Yeah, I really experienced this in my relationship, especially after I started doing things differently. I mean, he just refused. Sometimes he would completely leave the apartment, like before it even got heated. And I have to say, I experienced the silent treatment, and it is like seriously slowly torturing someone. Um, and it's its own form of abuse. So why do you think that contempt is maybe the the biggest issue? I think contempt is because you start to have a feeling of loathing or disgust overall for the person. So I think criticism, it's like character flaws. Like you do this because you're stupid or you're lazy or you're no good or you're whatever that or you, is. It's, you don't care. Yeah. You're you not care. listening. You're, it's, mm -hmm. it's about like them as a person and not, oh, you forgot to do this. You forgot to put, you forgot to sweep the floor or take the trash out. Mm -hmm. That versus 
you're so lazy, you never remember this. So that's criticism kind of at the at the more core level. And, and the opposite of that would be defensiveness. Well, I didn't, you, you forgot because you're lazy and you're, you're no good. And defensiveness, whether or not you've been criticized like that as a character flaw, it's not taking accountability or not stepping into the two-person role of trying to address the situation and instead putting back on them. What's your fault? You should have told me or you sh- you could have done this. And just kind of trying to get out of coming to the table and being a, a part of that unit. Yeah. Contempt, but yeah, contempt is is kind of the underlying poison or black mold and, you know, hiding behind the fridge that sort of seeps into everything. I will agree with that. And as I said, that was my big issue for a while. I also think when it comes to defensiveness, that this involves taking feedback in a very personal way. And as I said, seeing it as some sort of threat to yourself rather than listening and perhaps learning how to do better. Exactly, exactly. So basically, the reason why they call these the four horsemen of relationship apocalypse is because no relationship can survive when these are common dynamics. And I mean, it's these are also good things for you to look at. I mean, think of your last relationship and maybe three big arguments that you had. How did you show up? How did you respond when you got feedback or when your partner wanted to talk about something? Exactly. And these, the, the presence of these, if you're in a relationship now, you can maybe do so, so a little bit of reflection is how often do these come up? And these are the, the four biggest predictors of a relationship ending, according to the Gottmans. So the Gottmans have designed something that can help yes. you avoid the four horsemen. And Brian knows a little bit more about it than I do. So I'll let you intro it. Thank you. So this is the Gottman Rappaport Blueprint for Constructive Conflict. That's that's a mouthful, but it's basically like <laughs> a, a communication style. So there's active listening, there's healthy communication, and this is a little bit more prescriptive. You can find this or a variation of this in the books, What Makes Love Last by the Gottmans. Um, that's <laughs> great for building trust and avoiding infidelity and just building a long-lasting, trusting relationship. A more recent book they put out was The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, and I believe this is also in that, but but it's based on the overall principle of do not try to persuade, problem solve, or compromise until you can state the other side's position to their satisfaction and vice versa. It's sort of like negotiating any sort of conflict or business deal or you know political thing. You want to be able to understand and empathize, at least understand and be able to state their their perspective, their point of view, and you want them to be able to understand yours. And without that, you're sort of running in circles. This is built around taking turns, speaking and listening in a structured manner. So there's active listening. This is based on analysis of these meta-emotion results in the high trust couples in their love lab, like I said, where they study have studied thousands of couples. So interesting. Not to throw you for a loop, but when it comes to this, the scientific approach to watching someone's, I suppose, heartbeat and facial expressions, can you give us an example? There's like the micro expressions that come up. Somebody says something and maybe you can see like the contempt or the eyes or like you're smiling without the smile and you can tell they're sort of faking it. So these small meta emotions might be the, the little eye rolling or the sigh or externally you may look fine, 
but your heart rate is becoming elevated and you are holding back kind of your your breath. And so like physiologically, you're jumping into the sympathetic nervous system where you're, you're getting elevated, you're getting activated, but you're keeping a cool facade. And if you don't speak what it is you're feeling, then you're holding that in and that can create the resentment or the, the fissure, the, the distrust. Interesting. And I think that these are really good things to learn about yourself. I know in the past when I've experienced disappointment in a relationship, I almost go like completely numb. And I'm someone who's very animated typically. And I find it hard to even like make an expression definitely hard to speak. And so it's something I'm aware of, but also something that I try to prevent. I mean, no one deserves to feel like they've disappointed you. That's horrible. And I've had my male partner say, you know, it's like, it's like the worst feeling. And I think this is interesting because I think with so many personal development, hot topics, it's not necessary or even healthy to try and corral our partner into being passionate about the same things. But when it, comes to communication, there are two sides. And of course, that's the listener and the speaker. And both are responsible for the success of the conversation. And so I would probably suggest that early in a relationship, if you don't think that your partner is on board with this, it could be a bit of a red flag. I also think that agreeing I don't know early in a relationship, but as it's going and conflicts start coming up, agreeing that you will hear each other before responding and I guess more or less take turns is a really, really great way to do it. I do know that this is how the Gottmans suggest that these types of conversations go. I think it's important, as you mentioned, are they open to hearing your feelings? Do they validate your feelings? Do they get defensive or do they walk all over your boundaries and not respect your boundaries? So how open are they to validating and respecting you as a person and want to come to the middle and be respectful of each other and communicate with each other? And part of that is definitely just simply learning how to get comfortable with confrontation. I talked about this in our I Feel Triggered episode where I used to, and perhaps now, well, anyways, how I, I used to have very physical responses to confrontation. And that was something that I've had to work on. And I would encourage people to know and to learn about themselves and what feels activated when you feel either confronted or uncomfortable or as though you're about to have a difficult conversation. We can feel very overwhelmed and flooded with our feelings. I think if that's what happens with you, this is another good reason why take more time off before you start dating again. Sometimes when some people feel confronted that, you know, they do have the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response and it kicks in. And I would say, learn how you respond to that. I think I would freeze a lot uh, previously. And that's something that I've had to learn how to work through and learning how to stay calm in the moment breathe, look at how you are responding, and also look to what extent you're actually curious about what the person has to say, rather than what you're going to say next or how you're feeling or how you're feeling threatened. Exactly. And having a self-awareness of how you react, even if you're not 100% 
perfect at this, but knowing how you show up in these more tense conversations is important to making this conversation model that we're going to talk about in a moment, important to making that a successful one. And how do you set the stage to do that? And if you have any examples from your own life, I'd love to know. Yeah, I I think it's important to sit down together where you're not distracted by TV or things going on. Your phone. phone. It's not a conversation (laughs) where one person is trying to do something and the other person's yelling from the hallway. You got to set some time, carve some time out, have no distractions and be able to be present and listen to each other. Yeah. I think sometimes, I know sometimes in the heat of the moment, you're not necessarily going to schedule a time, but (laughs) whenever you're able to schedule a time to talk about these things, I think it can really help, especially because you both get prepared. And that's a great point because sometimes something may come up and you realize this conversation, we're not really getting anywhere. How about we take a break so we can calm down and then do the thing that you were, that I interrupted you. And then you, we both come back and we can sit down and focus on this. That way you're in a more calm state and you can be more intentional about the conversation, but you sit down together, no distractions. And it's good to start by remembering you are a couple, you're a a partnership and that can be expressing some gratitude, remembering what you like and love about each other and setting the stage that way. I'm not coming here to criticize you or tell you all the things wrong with you or tell you you're such a bad person. I'm coming here with a thing that, that I want to work on with you together to try and fix together. I love it. And having some agreements such as taking turns. One agreement that I liked, this is a little embarrassing, but one agreement that I like to have with my partners is that we don't talk about sensitive things or conflicts when we've been drinking. For instance, I think that that's actually a very good thing to just say up front. It's not a winning solution in any way. And that's a great boundary that can be, Hey, can we talk about this tomorrow? I'm not really in the right headspace. And so this conversation model is about trading off. So if you're speaking, you're speaking. If you're listening, you're listening. And then you can take turns. You're not interrupting each other. While the speaker is speaking, they're not trying to convince or win over the other person or fix or compromise. They're just stating things. And they just want to express feelings and the perspective. And when the listener is listening, you're actually listening and not waiting to talk. Yes. (laughs) Which a lot of people don't know the difference, but you can learn the difference and and think to yourself, are you waiting to respond or are you actually listening? Because as a listener, you want to understand their perspective, not just rebut it and tell them how they're wrong. Yeah. And thinking in your head how you're going to rebut it. So we have a good method for doing this slash the Gottmans have a good method for doing this. When we come back from a quick commercial break, we are going to talk about the attune method, which is what is the speaker's responsibility and what is the listener's responsibility? Nothing shatters your life like a breakup and the pain of a broken heart is real. I know that it seems impossible right now, but there is hope and there are ways to heal. I would love to work with you one-on-one to heal your broken heart and put your breakup behind you. 
My personalized coaching programs are designed to pinpoint what will be most effective in helping you to move forward and make this breakup a part of your past. I believe in you. Message me at xfilespodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at xfilespodcast and let's connect about creating a magical plan of action for you to enter 2023 with this breakup in your rearview mirror. Welcome back, everyone. We are going to talk about the Attune Method and what you can learn either while you're single or newly in a relationship, or for those who are in a relationship listening, how you can learn to be a great speaker and listener. Brian, can you tell us a little bit about the Attune Method? Yes. So it's called attune because you want to attune into the other person's mindset, their feelings, what's going on, the situation, and kind of match wavelengths. I'm excited about this. I've loved learning about it. I've loved learning about healthy communication over the last few years. And I want everyone to get out a pen and paper and take some notes. Because if your last relationship didn't go the way that you wanted it to, and you'd like to, as I hear lots of people, tell me, prevent that from happening again, this is one likely way to do it. So first, we're going to talk about the speaker's job as per the attune method. First, A, and that stands for awareness. This is so good. That means mindfulness with words that will prevent your partner being on the defensive. And that also means no accusations or criticisms. This takes a lot of practice because we, of course, want to let our partner know why we were triggered. But there are ways of doing this, such as using I statements, not you statements. So that, again, it's not critical. You're talking about your own experience. Brian, can you give us an example So say you text someone and they don't text you back all day and you don't know why and you're feeling ignored and disrespected. The the wrong way to do it might be, you ignored me all day, what's going on, what happened, you're so disrespectful to me and this relationship, da-da-da-da-da. And so immediately the other person is on the defense, like, wait, what? I just saw your message, I've been in meetings all day. And so when you were on the you, 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 you were ascribing a story. You're ascribing intention and meaning behind what they did. All that happened was you sent a message and they didn't respond. Uh, A better way to do that might be, hey, I texted you earlier and I didn't hear back from you all day. And I felt a little bit ignored, like you couldn't take the time. I don't know if you were busy. There's some empathy understanding their situation. I don't know if you were busy in meetings. When I didn't hear from you, I just felt ignored. So i Wanted to let you know that. Wonderful example and definitely something I hear all the time, especially from my female clients, to be honest. Just like, where did they go? (laughs) Of course, stay factual and be sensitive to your partner's triggers, um, emotional baggage, insecurities. This would be something to pay attention to. Again, early in a relationship, this would be one reason why having conversations is so important. And again, having an understanding of what each person is sensitive about. 
And Brian, you referred to this as the preemptive repair. Yes. Like, for example, if your partner has ADHD, steer clear of words like forgetful or things like that that might be like a sore point or like a sensitive point for something they know and they struggle with, whether it's ADHD or something else, but just being mindful, as you put it, to not put them on the defensive and not in a spot where they already know that it's it's difficult for them. So now we're to T. T tolerance. And this comes into whether or not you cling to your own point of view, but also that you acknowledge your partner's point of view. Again, I keep coming back to this, but it's not about winning. There can be two points of view. There are two points of view. Why else would you be having a conflict if you both saw things exactly the same? This wouldn't even be an issue. And also that both are equally valid. Again, it's not about being correct. Um, It's about accepting that there's more than one reality. I had someone recently talk to me about perception is reality. Have you heard that before? I think this is a great point because in the previous example, yes, you felt ignored and that's a reality. That's correct. And your your feelings are valid there. And the person who didn't respond, they were busy all day and they've been under a lot of stress in their perspective is also correct. And it's correct that they were busy and didn't even look at their phone for those three hours. So both can be valid. Both can be correct. Sometimes somebody is not correct and that's when they can apologize for something. But understanding that if you if you have the problem, you didn't respond to me, that you have the empathy and understanding that There's a reason they didn't respond besides just that they wanted to make me feel bad. Um, So I think a lot of people don't fully understand what intention versus impact means. And so I found a great definition from a website, The Coach Hub. In a conflict, one might be tempted to weigh intent over impact. We tend to see things in terms of right and wrong. If we focus on impact, we put perception ahead of intention, and we expect everyone to know how their actions will be seen. Yet by assuming good intent, we make others unaccountable for negative impacts. We make ourselves unaccountable. Doing so minimizes feelings, policies, reactions, and possibly marginalizes minorities. There is a difference between blamelessness and accountability. One might be accountable for unintended reactions without being the subject of blame or punishment. I think a really easy example is it's just a joke, but the impact can be it offends or it hurts somebody. Yeah, that's a really good example. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so we have A for awareness, T for tolerance, and now T, transforming criticisms into wishes and positive needs. This is great. This is also one of the concepts in nonviolent communication where you actually say what you desire or need in the future. This involves avoiding words and statements such as you stop this, don't do that, perhaps you always. When we are expressing needs in a negative way, it does sound like criticism and it can trigger defensiveness. People don't necessarily want to hear how shit they are, <laughs> right? So, I mean, naturally, you almost want to defend yourself. And I think it sometimes goes back to when we were kids, we don't want to get in trouble. So you kind of hide or you say, oh, 
Jimmy did it or, or Jenny did it. And you sort of deflect blame because, you know, as a kid, that's, that's a defense mechanism. You don't, you don't want to get in trouble with mom or dad or the teacher. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't really have a chance to ever defend yourself growing up, you may have an even bigger likelihood of wanting to do that now. Convert complaints into positive needs. This is great. So going back to the texting example, you might say rather than you never text me back or you disappeared all day or you were ignoring me, you might say it would make me feel great if you would be more responsive is that a good example do you think yeah yeah in that specific example might be if you don't have the time to respond it'd be great to say if you could just let me know hey i'm going into meetings all afternoon right i see this but i'll i'll talk to you tonight i just want to let you know i'm here and i i see this but i just we'll get back to you later kind of thing that is wonderful. Yes, I, I really like that. Letting them know ahead of time what, what your need is. And I think almost in this example, you could say, you know, I love when I hear from you or I love when we're texting back and forth. If you can't do that, it would be great if you'd let me know. And this, of course, is providing a blueprint for positive success. And that is because under negative feelings are wishes and desires that we have of our partner and what we would hope for in the future. There's also the issue of having expectations from your partner. And this goes back to them not being able to read your mind and perhaps not knowing necessarily what your expectation is. Does your partner know that you expect ahead of time to hear that they're going to be disappearing for five hours. Have you voiced that before? I suppose this would be an opportunity to do so and to let your partner know what the expectation is around communicating during the day. That brings up a great point, which is they may understand, they may even understand your expectation, but they may not agree with it, which is why the under underlying why is important. So, so it might be, it makes me anxious and agitated when there are clothes out or there's dishes left out on the counter. And it's hard to feel relaxed and close with you when I'm feeling all agitated that the kitchen is dirty. I want to feel closer with you so I can have an easier time getting in the mood and da, 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 and I'd love to, <laughs> if you could help me out with that. So there's an underlying reason, not just we have a different expectation of how clean the kitchen should be at any given time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And also, I think that between the texting and talking about household duties, I think these are things that most people out there can relate to. Another quick example might just be at the beginning of a relationship, you're going out on lots of dates, doing lots of fun stuff. Three months in, six months in, two years in, maybe you don't have date nights very often. So rather than we never, you never take me out anymore. We never do anything fun anymore. It could be you know, I, I really miss when we would go out and do all the fun stuff. And I, I really felt close and connected. And I'd love to do that more with you. What would you say to like a couple of date nights a month or something? So making it into a positive need, a solution rather than you don't do this anymore. or You, you do that. Yes. Or I really felt special and valued when you used to plan things for us. Can you get back to that or can we get back to that or possibly can you keep that in mind more? I'd love to feel that way again. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that is really great as far as learning how to speak during a conflict and learning how to communicate your needs. But what about the person who is listening? 
I think that we pay more attention, I suppose, in the dating and relationship space on how to actually voice the words and not as much on active listening. And like we said, this is a two-way streak. So Brian, can you fill us in on the rest of the attune method and what it has to do with the person who's listening? We start off with the speaker, A for awareness, T for tolerance, T for transforming. So transforming criticisms into positive needs. And the listener has the U and E. And then afterwards, they'll swap and, and try to understand the other person's point of view. So as the listener, you first need to resist the urge to debate. You're not there to defend yourself or argue. Tell them their feelings are wrong. You need to appreciate their emotions and where they come from and what caused them. So the U is for understanding. You're not problem solving. Then you have to resist the urge to fix or suggest what about this? You need to let the emotions lie or kind of come out and discussion happen. So if they're feeling something, let them feel that. Let the discussion go on, even if it makes you uncomfortable. Your job is to listen and understand, not act in that moment. So that means not telling them to calm down or lighten up. <laughs> Defend yourself. Yes. Oh, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that dirty. It's not that big of a deal. You can even say something like, help me understand why that's important to you. Help me understand why a, a dirty kitchen makes you feel agitated or anxious. Or maybe even, can you tell me more about what I did? Or can you tell me more about how I showed up? Or yeah. maybe, can you tell me more about how I can do better? That type yeah. of thing. Yeah. So the listener doesn't have to be completely silent. They're part of the conversation. But your job at this point is to understand what else are you feeling? You're not their therapist, but sort of in that role of tell me more, help me understand why this is important to you. N in attune, N is for non-defensive listening. So we already talked about not defending yourself. Wasn't that bad, lighten up. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it can be, it can require some self-soothing. You may need to stay calm. This is not the time of a conversation to react or fix things. So if you are feeling like, Oh my God, I just want to say something. I, that's not what happened. I, I need to defend myself. Yeah. Pause and breathe because you are trying to understand them and where they're coming from. A lot of people, I think, in these conversations, when they're meant to be listening, will say, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. And really feel like they have to jump in in the moment. Yeah. And that just gets everything off the rails and doesn't validate their experience. So non-defensive listening also involves remembering love and respect positives about each other, not how much you hate them for criticizing you and how you leave clothes on the floor, but that you are in a, in a good relationship. And this is just a small bump in the road. Yeah. And then the E in a tune is for empathy. We talk about this a lot, but empathize while listening and empathize while summarizing and explaining back that you do understand where they're coming from. So that could be, oh, Jana, so I, I really get, I really hear you that you grew up in this kind of household and you never had this or this, how things were done. And, and so when I do this, this is how it impacts you. So you end this part of the conversation, this half of the conversation with the speaker asking and the listener recapping and summarizing, affirming the speaker's feelings and emotions and experience and understanding. So once you have that, then you swap and you go through the attune. So the listener gets to speak and then get to practice awareness, tolerance, transforming criticisms. And, this, and the first listener goes back to understanding, non-defensive listening and empathizing. So you're understanding both points of view, both realities, both experiences. And then once you have that, then you can come together and figure out, okay, what do we do about this? 
What does that look like for us? And again, really, this takes, I think, quite a bit of practice. Definitely a lot of commitment on both sides. And I guess giving yourself both grace. And I would also say, pay attention to how committed you are. Pay attention to how committed your partner is to this process. And that will give you clues as to what you need to continue to practice and work on. And I have to say... It will give you clues as to whether or not the relationship is worth continuing to to pursue. Or it can give you clues. Yes, how invested they are. And yeah, maybe it'll give you a clue that this is definitely worth pursuing. (laughs) And maybe not. So we have other tips for healthy communication. I really like the resentment inventory, and this is something that I work with some of my clients on, depending what they're going through in life. And it's important because, like we said, resentment and contempt can really poison a relationship. It is good sometimes to get clear on what you resent and process it a little before you put it all on your partner. And how you do this is by just going to your journal. I always suggest people set a timer just so that they can really dive into the moment and also know that it's contained, I suppose. And so, and then just write out, I resent blank. I resent blank. And if you're thinking about your partner or your job or your family or anything, this can also, this, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely effective. And it can also get us to the core of the unspoken feelings. You may not realize that you feel neglected. You know, I mean, going back to the texting example, you could write down all the reasons why you resent not not hearing from your partner or all the things from the last week that you resent. And you may not have realized that, yeah, it makes you feel neglected. I've experienced that before. Some other unspoken feelings may be feeling dismissed, feeling distrusted, feeling a disconnection from your partner. I think that was big for me in my last relationship. Is We'd be texting and having a great conversation. And then all of a sudden, it would be like hours before I would hear from him. And not only did I feel neglected, but I felt, you know, we were being intimate. And then all of a sudden, like there's this disconnect and it was scary for me. And of course... The cracks in the foundation of the relationship that widen when we don't talk about our resentments. I think those resentments are are good seeds for self-work and just whether it's therapist or journaling, but what are my needs? What are my areas where I want to do, where I could do more? I'm resentful of this in the relationship or that person. And sometimes it's resentful because you wish you could do more or you wish you had their success or that time. And then that's the positive needs and getting to the point of expressing those positive needs. And that's where you grow. Yes. It's not just about being pissed off at your partner. It's learning about where you could have communicated better. You know, all resentments come back to ourself and our failure to show up in the way that I guess, encouraged our partner to do things differently. So you're doing the relationship inventory, possibly in your journal. Some people burn it or put it in the toilet after. That's up to you. 
I, I think that there's pros and cons of keeping it in your journal rather than destroying it. But moving right along, there's other forms of journaling that can help you figure out why you're feeling triggered. And that could be starting out a journal entry at just where is this coming from? You could start a journal entry around what am I fearful of in this situation or this relationship? Or what am I fearful of when it comes to expressing my needs and using my voice? Brian came up with this one, I think. Is this feeling based on truth or an interpretation of a story. For instance, do I have evidence that my partner intentionally ignored and neglected me? <laughs> or they're cheating because they didn't Ooh. they didn't text you back within two hours or mm-hmm. whatever it is. So or that they purposely ignored you or that they're trying to do this or whatever it is. So there's our feeling, but our feeling is based on our own internal workings and, and our past and, and our maybe sometimes trauma. And then there's kind of the objective reality. I texted them, they didn't text back. That doesn't necessarily lead to, oh, they're cheating or they are purposely ignoring you. That doesn't mean your feelings of being ignored aren't valid, but yeah. just going back to empathy and understanding their perspective, their experience as well. And then uh, another thing to do is, this could be with yourself, but if you're in a relationship, it's good with your partner. Have regular check-ins. It could be weekly, monthly, set a time, Friday night. It could be Sunday dinner, and you connect, and, and you have, like, open time, 30 minutes to bring up anything that came up in the past week that you didn't have time to or didn't feel comfortable in the moment bringing up. But it's like a, not not quite, but, like, no holds barred. Anything, anything goes, bring up something that came up, and you know that this is, like, a tune conversation like a dialogue method where you bring it up they want to understand you you want to understand them and and resolve that thing it does take a willingness to be vulnerable and to hear some things that you may not want to hear i tried to do this with my last boyfriend in australia i really wanted to do this weekly and he shut it down he just said that that sounds horrible because Presumably, you'd be talking about some, quote, negative things that had happened in the last week. And he just thought, you know, sitting there and telling each other these things just was something he couldn't face. And it's about being vulnerable and working through those moments. And I also want to share that I tried to do this in my last relationship and we were both very gung-ho about it especially me (laughs) and I will say if this is something that you want to implement in your relationship agree to either a set time each week or to take equal responsibility in coordinating it something that was kind of a downfall with our arrangement or lack of arrangement <laughs> rather was I, I felt like I was the only one making it happen. I was the one who would bring it up constantly. I was the one who would schedule it and it wasn't a good foundation. It wasn't a good vibe. It wasn't good for me to have the sole responsibility of, of doing it. I mean, clearly and obviously it would lead to me feeling that it was more important to me. And and being able to tell their level of openness, investment, effort in that, even if they didn't have anything to bring up or talk about, but just being open to hearing your feelings, that's important. 
And so leading into like the next point, but just with couples therapy. So there's like the couples check-ins and then the couples therapy, having that place to talk about things. Sometimes there are things you may not feel are, are worth making a big deal out of quote unquote in the moment or whatever. But when you have a check-in or, you know, a state of the union or a couples therapy session that can be like, Oh, well, there was this one thing. I didn't think it was a big deal. And sometimes that can uncover something bigger, not necessarily like, a relationship ending kind of thing, but maybe something that's underlying and maybe holding you back in, in one way or another. Like with my example earlier about like the restaurant menu and, and ordering and whatever, that still exists like in a smaller place for me where, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to bring something up. I don't want to rock the boat, but if it's not that big of a deal, then then I don't need to bring it up at all. But if given a chance, oh, there was this one thing that happened and it would have been nice to do this or if it went that way instead. And that gives them an opportunity to be a better partner for you and support you in that and you to open up and be vulnerable. So even if you don't think these are major things, major big things going on, there can still be smaller things that are like the small, like micro tears, micro fractures in the relationship that can build up over time over months and years and years so when it comes to choosing your battles which is something that a lot of people say to do in relationships I mean do you think that's even a thing or do you think that there's a way to know whether you should bring it up or not or whether this is a a matter of, of choosing your battles Yeah, I I definitely believe in choose your battles. I don't like the term, but you don't need to turn everything into a big deal. Not everything needs to be like a discussion. And maybe you have errands to run or a life to live and you can't stop every time something happens. But (laughs) that could be something. I'm going to bookmark this and, and bring it up at dinner or next time I see them and not filing it away and and turning it into some sort of resentment that kind of eats away at you later. But I think there is a time and a place. And if you don't have a time and place in the moment, then having a time and a place where you can both be present and have like a constructive conversation about it. I think that is important to gravity and like the importance of whatever issue, whatever that issue might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think maybe thinking about whether it was some, it's something that maybe could be an issue in the future and wanting to prevent it. And uh, moving on to the next point. So like in addition to the check-ins where it's just the two of you, going to couples therapy, I think is very important, very helpful for a lot of people, even if you're not at the point of where our relationship is on the rocks or about to get a divorce, whatever it is, it can be very preventative as well and help you build tools, even if the fights are smaller or the resentments or the, the little things are smaller at the time, it can help you have a safe space to bring up those things and also build the muscle memory of the attune or whatever kind of conversation method you have to be able to listen to each other and respect and and empathize with each other's and understand each other's perspectives and feelings. So that can be like a very good training to set you up for success in the future. I like that. And I think also just improving your relationship and just making it more hot, making it more 
inspiring. And also it doesn't necessarily just have to be therapy. There are some really, really amazing relationship coaches out there who just simply work with people who want to have a conscious, intentional relationship and build upon the foundation that they've already built. I had my friend Christina Morelli on a little while ago, and that's what she does. She doesn't necessarily work with couples who have these big issues, just with people who want to add more joy to their connection. Definitely. And on kind of a a tangent on this, there's a really fantastic show on Showtime called Couples Therapy. It's a reality show set in New York. It's with a therapist, a psychoanalyst who helps look kind of back and where behaviors and things come from, but it's got all sorts of couples across the three seasons. It's great to watch on your own. It's great to watch with your partner Okay. because every, every relationship, they both bring in their own baggage or experiences, whatever, and seeing them work through those and resolve those and seeing that it takes sometimes weeks and weeks and months. Sometimes things are not resolvable. Sometimes major things, infidelity, kind of all sorts of things may be resolvable. So just seeing it's not, always just one side we both everybody brings things into a relationship and trying to make that work with another person can be challenging but having somebody there to help you can be great and just watching that and seeing other people's very real experiences and and hardships in relationship in marriage can be great to see and, and maybe you see parts of yourself in that and watching it with a partner you can see Oh, we sometimes argue like that, or or you might have your opinions on. No, oh, he, he he's definitely wrong. She's right, or whatever it is. <laughs> it's a great way to see these couples evolve over the course of their treatment with the therapist. So, just a a great side resource to to watch and and learn from. I think on the flip side is married at first sight where the couples come in (laughs) and the ones who just in like just completely fail, you can see how attached each person is to owning and their point of view and their way of doing things. And I think a lot of the time the, the person is just completely resistant to learning new ways, completely resistant to changing in any way and just, yeah, being right and just going with what they've always done, which is kind of the opposite intention of the show. But I mean, you can just see it and it's, it's sad. And especially as a coach, it's also just so obvious that the person is just about being right and only seeing their own perspective. It's hard sometimes to watch. Yeah. And lastly, we, we covered some books, the Gottman books. So what makes love last? Um, it's about like trust and the com- communication. They put out another one called seven principles for making marriage work. So we covered those books, but also just on some of the topics um, for boundaries, a book recommendation I have is, author Terry Cole, and she put out a book called Boundary Boss, and she's big on on social media and does really great work. But if boundaries are a thing for you, check out Boundary Boss. And there's a crucial conversation, which is can be for relationships, can be for like business and career and, and the workplace, but crucial conversations. And there's like four authors on that one. And then Janice, I know you had mm-hmm. a book on communication that you love. Yes, nonviolent communication. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful resource. And it really it has so many examples of real life scenarios where you can use this. 
And then if you want more episodes around communication and relationships, I have some episodes of breakups, broken hearts, and moving on that you can listen to and continue to take a deep dive into this. So I will start with episode 129, identifying relationship patterns after a breakup. Episode 139, that's past trauma, new relationships. 152, Maslow's hierarchy of needs in dating and relationships. I did that one with Barry Selby, actually. And 156, nonviolent communication 101. That was a cool one because I actually had a friend of mine who is a nonviolent communication coach for a living who came in and did that episode with me. So yeah, go maybe start with that one. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for both of these episodes. I think we should just keep it going and plan some more because this was absolutely fantastic. I love having the male point of view. And um, I really thank everyone for, for tuning in. Yes, thank you so much, Janice. And if you haven't listened to the I Feel Triggered episode, that's a great one as well. Just came out recently. So go check that one out as well. And I look forward to being back sooner rather than later, Janice. <laughs> this time, yeah, let's, let's not wait around. Come on, we had so many things going on in our lives this year. Yeah. If you like the series that Brian and I did, did, please go and leave me slash us a five-star rating and review on Apple. I'm trying to kind of collect those between now and the end of the year. It's a great way to tell me what you think of the show. And to help more people find the show and, and get great knowledge from Janice and myself and all her other great guests. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. I'm, I'm glad to know you for sure. And with that, I am sending you so much strength for the week ahead. If you are going through a breakup, you've totally got this. If you're not going through a breakup, I hope you found this episode useful. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.